Thank you so much, Ken, um, for being with us here today. Really appreciate you being here. I'll I'll just give a brief introduction to Ken. You don't you don't really need an introduction, but I, I have a brief brief thing on 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 Ken Blanchard. So, um, Ken's company was incorporated, uh, the Ken Blanchard Companies, in 1979 with three simple goals. The first was to make a difference in people's life. The second is to drive human worth and effectiveness in the workplace. And the third is to help each organization we work with become the provider, employer, and investment of choice. Ken has co-authored over 60 books, selling over 21 million copies, and he's universally considered one of the most influential and compassionate leadership experts in the world. Um, and I'll just say from my my perspective as well, I've known Ken for, for a, a number of years, mainly through my family and, and through uh, the relationship with my grandfather. And I can, I can echo that statement that Ken is truly one of the most influential thought leaders of our time when it comes to leadership and self-leadership. And he is a very compassionate um, and kind person. And the fact that he'd take a few minutes to be with us today really means a lot. So, so thank you, Ken, um, for being here. Well, and, it's a it's a joy, and and you have such a wonderful family. It's made such a difference in people's lives, and it's continuing to do that. Well, thank you. And I'll say Ken's Ken's interview today is going to be a little different than than our normal interview on uh, interviews on the podcast. Normally, we focus on uh, an author's one, one of their books and dive deep into the paradigms and the principles of the one book. But with Ken, he's co-authored over 60 books. He's best known for One Minute Manager, situation, Situational Leadership, and, and other books. But there's just too many books, Ken, that you've written. So I couldn't focus on just one. I just kind of wanted to focus more a bit on, on your body of work. And so the first thing I wanted to ask you about, since we talk about paradigms a lot on this podcast, there was a video I came across that you did recently where you were speaking in front of an audience and you... You started off where you, you said, I want you to turn to the person next to you and pretend like you were meeting this person for the first time. But in your mind, I want you to imagine that this person is unimportant and you don't really care about them. So you had everyone meet people. And then you said, okay, now I want you to meet the person again, pretend like you're meeting them or, or, or greeting them. But this time, pretend that they are a loved one and someone you care about and someone that's had an influence in your life. And so it kind of goes through and it shows on the video the two scenarios. And you can feel, even though it's through a video, you can feel the energy come through on the second time. So I wanted to get your perspective. What, what was kind of the purpose, you know, when you do that activity and exercise, what's kind of the purpose behind, behind that uh, exercise? Well, Steve, I try to tell people that the computer and the mind have a lot in common. Neither the computer and the mind knows the difference between the truth and what you tell it. You know, if you get up in the morning, you know, and and say you're fabulous and you look in the mirror, you know, your mind is not going to say, who are you kidding? I know you much better than that. Uh, and uh, so how you program your mind in a positive or negative way and how you approach people uh, as a major thing. And I just want to show them is when you come out people and situations with positive energy, uh, the energy continues to to grow. But if you go around you glumming and acting like people are important. You know what? They'll be pretty unimportant. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, I, I love that. And I thought it was a great example of kind of the power of a paradigm shift where people's behaviors changed because their their mindset was different. Um, what, one thing I recently read about you, Ken, in a Q&A session you did, someone asked you, you know, what, what keeps you motivated? I mean, you, you've been at this um, helping people and, and talking about leadership since the 70s. So now you're 50 plus years doing this. And, you know, what, what keeps you motivated? And, and one thing you mentioned is that what keeps you motivated is that the world is still in desperate need of a different leadership model. Um, I'd be curious if you, if you might, may, might talk a little bit about, about what that is, your, your motivation and, and what that model is. Well, yeah, the reason I still get excited is that I think the world is in desperate need of a different leadership role model. We've seen what self-serving leaders have done in every sector of society around the world. We can watch it in Washington today. Uh, and uh, so that what we need is servant leaders, people that are there for the benefit of others. And a lot of times, Steve, when I talk about servant leadership, people think I'm talking about the inmates running the prison or trying to please everybody. But they don't understand that there's two aspects of servant leadership. There's vision and direction and goals because leadership is about going somewhere. And that's the responsibility of the hierarchy. And doesn't mean you don't involve people. But that's the leadership part of servant leadership. You know, where are we going? What are we trying to accomplish and all? And once that's clear, then you turn the pyramid upside down, the traditional pyramid, and now you work for your people. And this is the servant part of servant leadership because your your, uh, goal is to help them accomplish their goals. You really are, are there for them. And I think that's so important. You can always tell organizations where, they're run by self-serving leaders because if you have a problem uh, and you talk to a frontline person, you're talking to a duck and they're going, quack, quack, it's our policy, quack, quack. I just work here, quack, quack. I didn't make the rules, quack, quack. Do you want to talk to my supervisor, quack, 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 quack. Where if you're working for an organization run by a servant leader, uh, you'll have a frontline person like at Nordstrom. If you've got a problem, they'll say, I'll take care of it. You know, uh, it'll be done. Uh, because they're allowed to bring their brains to work. And uh, people say, well, who uses this, these concepts that you teach? Well, only the leaders of every organization, whether it's Southwest Airlines in the airline industry, Nordstrom is in retail, Wegmans in the grocery business, Sonovas in financial services, you know, and, the, and uh, Starbucks, you know, in the <laughs> coffee business, all run by leaders who get that leadership is not about them, it's about the people that uh, are working with them, not for them. The idea of a servant leader, I feel like, like you said, is so important in today's world. The other question I wanted to ask, because I know you talk a lot about servant leadership. Can you also talk about um, your work on situational leadership? So maybe for someone who's not familiar with your work on situational leadership and you know what, what that is and, and how that also relates to servant leadership. Yes, we, we call that SL2. Uh, and uh, what it really is, is it's our approach to uh, effective uh, situational leadership. And what it really says is that uh, once the goals are clear, because you have to start with clear goals, then uh, you need to give different strokes to different folks, depending on their development level. And their development level consists of how competent are they in this goal? Do they are they experienced in it and all? 
And then what is their commitment, their motivation, their confidence in, in doing that? And people vary in that. And so if you're dealing with an enthusiastic beginner in a particular goal, you know, they're excited about doing it, but they don't know much about it. So they need direction uh, from you. If you're dealing with a self-directed achiever, you know, a person who's got the skills and the motivation, you can delegate to, to, to them. And so we just really feel it's not only different strokes for different folks, it's different strokes for the same folks on different parts of their job because somebody working for you, Steve, could have four or five goals and they could be a self-directed achiever on one or two, an enthusiastic beginner on another one. They could be kind of a disillusioned learner where they've you know, worked on that goal, but you know, find it more difficult than they thought and they need coaching or you can find that they're capable but cautious. They got got the skills, but don't just want to be left alone. You need to give a supporting style. So uh, it's really kind of fascinating. And and uh, what you do really with your people is teach the model uh, to them. And then at the beginning of the year, you sit down and you look at their goals and uh, analyze their development level and then agree on what's the best leadership style to start with, with the goal of moving from dependence to independence over time. But so often, the, the worst leadership style in America and around the world is tell them what to do, then leave them alone, you know, yeah. go through a delegating leadership style regardless of their development level. And then uh, don't appear again until they make a mistake and then you fly in, you know, and, uh, and dump on them, you know, we call it seagull management, uh, and then fly out, you know, it's leave alone zap and uh, rather than being there for people. That's great. Um, well, something else I wanted to ask you about, Ken, that you've done an incredible job um, throughout your life is, is this idea on, um, on collaboration and the, and the power of collaboration. You have co-authored so many books, and I know for not, not all authors, but for a lot of authors, sometimes there's ego involved, um, sometimes there's, uh, you know, recognition, people want to be recognized, but, but you've really, in my opinion, you've had such an abundant view on life and with people. Um, I, I, w- I was just curious to get your perspective on, on the power of collaboration and how that's, how that's blessed your life and, and, mm-hmm. and worked in your life. Well, my, you, you get a kick. My mother used to ask me, why don't you write more books by yourself, because I've only written two books by myself, one on golf. So many people held my golf game. I didn't know who to write it with. And then I wrote a book on my spiritual journey, and I didn't think I could go more to that except with the, the good Lord. And uh, because I'm a learner, and I love to learn, and so I've just had so many wonderful opportunities to learn from people like Norman Vincent Peale, who wrote The Power of Positive Thinking, and Truett Cathy, who started uh, Chick-fil-A, and uh, and uh, Jimmy Blanchard, you know, who uh, was the president of Synovus, chosen the number one company to work for so long that Fortune uh, magazine asked him to stop applying. And they started an honor list. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Colleen Barrett from Southwest. I just, uh, be, my big philosophy, and I think I would regularly recommend it to all of you young leaders, is that none of us is as smart as all of us, you know, and, and that, uh, your key role as a leader is is we rather than me and recognize that you're really there working for your people and helping them win, not sitting around evaluating and judging them and 
breaking them into normal distribution curves and all those kind of crazy things. Right. That's, that, that's amazing. Yeah. I've, I've been so amazed by just the way you've been able to collaborate with so many different people. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, so kind of in, in wrapping up a few more things, um, Ken, what, if there is one teaching, I know you've been asked this before, but if there is maybe one of your teachings or, or something you want to be remembered by, um, you know, what, what would that be? And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be just one thing, but what, what are kind of the most important things you hope to be remembered by? Um, well, I already kind of somewhat mentioned it, but uh, I remember when I worked with Norman Vincent Peale, we said, if you stop learning, you should lie down and let him throw the dirt on you because you're already dead. So one of the things I recommend to all of you is keep on learning, keep on reading. You know, if you're in leadership, then study leadership. Who's out there that's doing interesting? You know, you ought to be studying what Patrick Lencioni is 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 doing and Lori Beth Jones and and what's Simon Sinek up to and uh, Brene Brown. And, you know, those are all young people making a difference in in our field and there's other people coming up there, but, but keep on learning, keep on uh, doing that. And I, so that's the, the, the biggest thing. And, and to, uh, the, the second thing is just to realize that all the brains aren't in your office, you know, and, and one plus one is always greater than two. And uh, how do you, you know, work together with your people uh, and bring out the best in everybody uh, so that uh, you can move forward in, in a way that really makes a makes a difference. And, and uh, where if uh, you think all the brains in your office, you just cut off all the creativity from the people around you and you, and you lose your good people because they want to be in an organization where they think they can contribute and, uh, and make a difference. And so uh, we really feel that's, uh, that's just so important is it's, it, it's uh, working with your people they're not working for uh, you. And uh, so, and, and I'm not a big uh, fan too of normal distribution curve. I mean, why would you want to screw a certain percentage of your people? <laughs> right. <laughs> when I was a college professor, Steve, you get a kick out of this. I was always in trouble because the first day of class, I always give out the final examination and the faculty would say, what are you doing? And I'd say, I'm confused. They say, yeah, I said, I thought it was teach these kids. You are, but don't give them the questions in the final. And I'd say, not am I going to give them the questions in the final. What do you think I'm going to do all semester? I'm going to teach them the answers. So when they get to the final exam, they get A. Life's all about getting A's, not some stupid normal distribution curve. And so that's what I really feel is once you set your goals with your people, your job isn't to walk around with your arms, you're evaluating and all. Your arms is to get how can I help? What can I do to help you accomplish your goals? Because if you set good goals with your people and they accomplish them, they will win, your organization win, and you will win. It's win, win, win. That's awesome. That actually reminds me, that was similar to how my, when my grandfather was a university professor, that's kind of how his classes went as well. And I heard there were some faculty members that weren't happy with the way he would assign grades and but but I think he had the same philosophy that that you did with that. Yes, he and I agreed on a lot. He was uh, one of my favorite people, and I think one of the people who really made a difference in the world. Yeah, no, he 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 was amazing. Um, yeah, and I think one more thing I want to highlight, 
Ken, and I think you, you've touched on this, but specifically in, in your book, The One Minute Manager, kind of the secret, the second secret you talk about is this idea of catching people doing things right and, you know, accent the, the positive. I, I, love, I love that message. Um, I think it's so important. It's, it, for me, like as a parent, that's something I'm always trying to do um, that I've, I've taken from you from a parenting standpoint. But what, why, why is that important, say, like in an organization, you know, to, to, to highlight the positive in people's lives? Well, I think when you highlight the positive and make people feel like they're part of the team, <clears throat> then they'll go out of their way to be honest with you and help you. You know, I'll never forget uh, Don Sotoquist was vice chairman of, of Walmart and a pretty amazing guy. And he and I were going to do a speech together. And I landed and he picked me up and he said, Ken, do you mind if I stop by this store? I said, I haven't been, been here in quite a while. And so we walked in, he put his his badge on, you know, vice chairman and all. And everybody's running around. He said, is the manager here? Yeah. And he said to the manager, he said, could you take me on a praising tour? Just show me all the people and things that you're really feeling good about uh, in the store and all the manager went, whoa, yeah. And went around and introduced them and showed them all the things they were doing. And when they finished that <laughs> tour, then Don said, why don't we get all your people together and just, uh, and so he said, you know, I just was walking around with a manager and just saw all the fabulous things you're, you're doing well. And one of the things I want to ask, is there any areas that you're kind of straining a little bit or could, could maybe use some help that maybe we at corporate headquarters could, could really help you? And it was amazing how honest they were uh, in terms of the issues that they were, were dealing with and, and how he responded to that and all that. And it was just a perfect model to me is if you first accent the positive and show people that you're on their team, then they really will be on your their team and will will uh, point out things that need to be worked on and, and need help. And boy, that's when you go one plus one is so greater than two. Right. Yeah, no, that's I, I love how you you highlight that. So kind of in in closing, Ken, there's two there's there's really two questions we will end the podcast with. Um, the first one is around you know for someone listening to this podcast, what is one practical action step that that uh, that they could that someone could take to be a to be a better leader? What what one practical action step they could take today to be a better leader? Well, it's it's kind of fun, but we started. <clears throat> a 12-step Egos Anonymous program, you know, <laughs> the, the biggest deterring for people to be great leaders is the human ego, where they somehow think that they're the center of the, the universe. And if you've ever been involved in AA or any of those things, it's a voluntary thing. And we have managers around the country, when they have their weekly meeting, they start off with an Egos Anonymous meeting, and everybody has to stand up and say, hi, I'm Ken, and everybody says, hi, Ken. And I say, I'm an egomaniac. And then I admit uh, in the last week when either false pride, which is when I acted like I was smarter than or brighter than other people, uh, that's one form of ego, or fear or self-doubt. I really didn't think I had the confidence and all. And share uh, that. And then everybody, of course, applauds you and all that kind of thing. And the more you identify when your ego gets in the way, the less it will get in your way in the in the future, and so uh, because the the way to overcome false pride is humility. And I remember 
uh, you know, uh, Steve, the, the guy that wrote the uh, book, I'm trying to think of his name now, but uh, he, uh, he said that the two key characteristics of great leaders is resolve, which is the determination to accomplish a goal. And the other one was humility. And he never thought humility could be, uh, you know, such an important thing. And researchers kept on saying, no, that, that that's the number two thing, because people think humility is a weakness, but I don't know, I think it was C.S. Lewis or some old guru that said, people with humility don't think less of themselves, they just think about themselves less. And so one of the things that you got to recognize that uh, is that, uh, you know, you're not the center of the universe, and uh, you got your skills, but how do you use the people? And And then if you got fear of self-doubt is to realize, you know, God didn't make any junk, you know, and, and you got your skills and your positive things, but so do your people. And so how do you bring them into, into play? And so I, I think my biggest advice is to get out of your own way and to realize that you're there to serve rather than be served. Love it. And then the last question that I'll ask you, um, if you were speaking one-on-one with someone who was early on in their career um, and they asked you about success, what advice would you give them as far as what success is and, and how to be successful? Well, <clears throat> it's interesting. Bob Buford was a friend of mine, started a thing uh, where he was teaching people the difference between success and significance. And <clears throat> Success has all to do with results and all. And some people think that who they are is all their results and their titles and their accomplishments and all. And significance is really what have you done to serve? What have you done to help other people uh, win? And uh, and if, if you focus on significance, it's amazing how not only will you help other people win, but they'll help you win. And as I've said, it ends up to be a win-win. And so that my my big advice to to uh, people who are just starting is to, as I said, just get out of your own way and just to realize that uh, you're really there to serve your people, not for them to serve you. And uh, when that happens, boy, uh, you're gonna you're gonna get it. Is the uh, Steve the greatest organizations I've been involved in realize that their number one customers, their people. And if you take care of your people, empower your people, love on your people, involve your people, then they will go out of their way to take care of your number two most important customer, which is the people who buy your products and services. And then they'll become raving fans of your organization, become part of your sales force. And that takes care of the third part, which is the owners and the productivity and all that. As it, that a lot of people think that, that, uh, the reason to be in business is to make profit. No, profit is the applause you get for creating a motivating environment for your people so they'll take care of your customers. That's brilliant. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ken. Again, it's been it's been an honor um, having you here today. Uh, really appreciate your insight and the work that you've done um, that has impacted literally millions of people. Um, and again, it's, it's been a great honor to have you today. We're really, really uh, grateful for you being here with us. And Steve, thank you for having me on here. And I'm just so proud of you continuing the wonderful Covey uh, legacy that that's going to continue to go on for a long, long time. So bless you. 
Thank you, Ken.